0: You're listening to the Cornerstone Chapel High School Youth Ministry. Let's head into the service for this week's message. All righty. Hey, First Samuel chapter 20 is in your Bible. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 20, if you would turn there, please. How many more days till school starts? Does anybody know who's counting? A couple weeks. All righty. First Samuel chapter 20. All right. Let's read it, starting in verse one. Is everybody there? First Samuel chapter twenty, verse one says this. Shh. It says then David fled from Niath at Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, "What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is trying to take my life?" Never, Jonathan replied, "You're not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything great or small without confiding in me. Why would he hide this from me? It is not so." But David took an oath and said, Your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only a step between me and death. Verse 4. Jonathan said to David, Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it for you. So David said, Look, tomorrow is the new moon festival and I'm supposed to dine with the king. But let me go and hide in the field until the evening of the day after tomorrow. If your father misses me at all, tell him, David earnestly asked my permission to hurry to Bethlehem, his hometown, because an annual sacrifice is being made there for his whole clan. If he says, very well, then your servant is safe. But if he loses his temper, you can be sure that he is determined to harm me. As for you, show kindness to your servant, for you have brought him into a covenant with you before the Lord. If I am guilty, then kill me yourself. Why hand me over to your father? Never, Jonathan said... If I had the least inkling that my father was determined to harm you, wouldn't I tell you? And David asked, Who will tell me if your father answers you harshly? Come, Jonathan said. Let's go out into the field. So they went there together. Verse 12, Then Jonathan said to David, By the Lord, the God of Israel, I will surely sound out my father by this time the day after tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed towards you, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father is inclined to harm you, May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away safely. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord as long as I live, so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him. Because he loved him as he loved himself. And jump down to verse 42. It says, Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me, and between your descendants and and my descendants forever. Then David left, and Jonathan went back to the town. Well, let's pray, and we'll dive into our study. Lord, we are grateful for your word. and We thank you just for this time this morning, that we can open it up and that we can study. And God, we thank you for the lives of David and Jonathan, that we can look at their lives and at their friendship, and that we can learn some lessons from it. So we ask that you bless this time, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you take some time and you just look at uh, popular literature, or you look at uh, movies, you look at pop culture, you look at history, any different things, you'll see a lot of the great friendships that have kind of defined our culture and defined our time. I think of things like Frodo and Sam in The Lord of the Rings, right? You see this great friendship, the epic journey that they're on. I think of um, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. Have you guys been watching the new BBC, Sherlock Holmes? Have you see that? Millie has. Uh, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. I think of uh, Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn from the classic stories. Um, I think of uh, Michael Scott and Dwight Schrute from The Office. Who's an Office fan in here? A couple of you? Millie again. A couple Office fans. Um, I think of, like, in in more recent history, I think of, uh, like, Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher from the 80s. Classic The Iron Lady, right? Uh, maybe not um, There's classic stories there I think of Do you guys remember Corey Matthews and Sean Hunter? Is that before your time? Corey Matthews and Sean Hunter Boy Meets World Classic friendships That kind of Are things that you look back You think about pop culture You think about movies You think about literature Those are some of the things That are the defining friendships Maybe of our generation But you look at this story here In the Bible Of David and Jonathan and This is one of the greatest stories Of friendship You see in all of the Bible And Uh, it's one that's really kind of special in a lot of ways, and I think there's some different lessons that we can learn from it. So what I want to do this morning is look at the principles that we can learn from the friendship between David and Jonathan. But to be able to understand this wonderful friendship, you have to understand a little bit about the background of what's going on. Uh, And Pastor Gary, if you guys are going into the main sanctuary, have been going and listening. He's going through the life of uh, David in 1 Samuel some now, so it's stuff that you'll be getting there as well. But just to kind of give you a running start into what's going on, Uh, This story here in 1 Samuel chapter 20 is set in what's called the days of the monarchy. It was the times of the kings in Israel. And who knows what the first king of Israel was, right? It was Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel. You see that in 1 Samuel chapter 9 that they asked for a king and Samuel went and he anointed Saul to be king over Israel. And so Saul's this first king and he was was exactly what you would imagine a king to look like. He was tall, dark and handsome and he's this guy who's just the, the picture of a king... But uh, Pastor Gary did a sermon recently kind of talking about how Saul's life was one that wasn't always obedient to God. It was characterized by like 90% obedience. He listened to God when it was convenient. And it was after one of those times that Samuel came to him and said, Look, you know, you've been disobedient to the Lord. You haven't been doing what you are supposed to be. So the anointing to be king is going to be taken from you. And you're not going to be king anymore. And... Um, And even though that happens, it's going to be 15 years before he actually loses the throne in Israel. But nevertheless, the kingdom's kind of taken from Saul because of his disobedience. And so that's kind of the main stage, the main scene of what's going on. But in the background, Samuel goes to this little town in Judah called Bethlehem. He goes to the house of Jesse. And that's the story, and Pastor Gary talked about it last week, where he anoints David to be the king over Israel. And so David's this young guy. He's probably, you know, 14, 15 years old, not far off from Ural's age. And he's anointed to be king over all all of Israel. But even though he's anointed to be king as a teenager, it's going to be 15 years before he actually assumes the throne. And it's going to be times of God using that to kind of prepare him for what it is he has for him. So it's a significant time in his life as well. And so there's Saul who's the king, that's kind of the main scene. There's David in the background who's anointed to be king, but he's just kind of doing his shepherd thing in Bethlehem. And then there's a third person as well, and that's Jonathan. And Jonathan is the prince of Israel, he's the son of Saul. And the Bible tells us that Jonathan's a great military warrior. In fact, if you look just back a couple chapters... ...in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 13 and chapter 14... ...it kind of highlights some of the military exploits of Jonathan. He goes out and he leads men to victory... ...and they, they go up against the Philistines... ...and they have just these incredible victories... ...because he's a man of, of bravery and of, of courage... ...and he goes out and he fights the Philistines. So that's Jonathan. But after the course of time... Um, ...and uh, again in David, he ends up serving in Saul's court. He goes and he plays, uh, plays the harp for Saul... So they're both kind of living in the same house, and they kind of go on to become friends. They're both serving, uh, serving Saul. And it's interesting because you look at their lives, and they're both just men who their lives are characterized by obedience to God. David's doing what God has for him, where God has him. He's serving in the courts of Saul. He's out tending sheep. He's doing what the Lord put in front of him. And there's Jonathan. He's this military warrior. He's serving the Lord, and he's... Just, you know, being an obedient person to what God has in front of him. And it's interesting because their common obedience allows them to have a common friendship. And you look at these two young men and they begin to develop this friendship. That's something that's a timeless friendship that we can look at. So that's kind of the story of what's going on here. That's the story of David and Jonathan. And it's a beautiful story. People love to kind of look back on it and... and It's a classic story maybe you've heard uh, from days in Sunday school and things like that. But that's David and Jonathan. Now, you may say, Jimmy, you know, this is really great, and I appreciate the nice story. I do remember it from Sunday school, but what does that have to do with me? And I think about it, but I think this is an important story for us to study as uh, young people for a couple of reasons. And the first is this, that you look at David and Jonathan, and they were young people. It's likely that David wasn't very far off from your age. He's probably in his late teenage years. And Jonathan's likely in his early 20s. And so there are two young men who develop a good, godly friendship at a young age. And so there's something that we can relate to there. But I think the second thing is this, and maybe more importantly, is that high school years can be very transitional years. I mean, you're going from being a kid to being an adult. You're going from having to have your mom drop you off everywhere to having your driver's license and having some freedom and being able to go out and do things on your own. Sometimes the safety and security of... Your childhood is, is quickly uh, fading in the rearview mirror as you're becoming an adult and as you're moving forward in life. And these can be times of great uh, excitement in a lot of ways. It can be times of great temptation in a lot of ways as you're exposed to things that are new... And, ...and you're trying to decide what does it mean to live like a Christian in this world that has lots of different choices to make. It can be times of great loneliness... And I've talked to enough of you who are in high school days and, you know, a lot of the friends you had from growing up maybe aren't around anymore and you're trying to figure out where is it I fit in and where where is it that I belong. And it can be times of great loneliness in a lot of ways. And so I think now more than ever that is a good time... um, ...in your all's life, to discuss the topic of developing godly friendships. And I think one thing that's important to note... ...is that you have to be very intentional about developing godly friendships. It's not something that just happens. It's not like they just kind of fall into your lap. You have to work. You have to be active about going out and developing godly friendships. It reminds me of a couple of years ago... uh, ...when we went to the beach with my family for summer vacation. And we go down to the beach... ...and, you know, uh, it was me, uh, my twin brother Tommy... ...the younger brother Danny and my parents... And uh, so we get down there, we set out kind of the blanket, you know, and I'm sitting on the blanket, and, and Danny goes off to do what every, you know, good kid does at the beach. He grabs a shovel and goes and begins to dig a hole, right? And he's going down there, and he's got a shovel, he's digging a hole, and, and I, you know, I'm laying on the towel, I'm reading a book or something. We're all just kind of hanging out. Anyways, I come down after about a half hour, and he had dug this hole that was about four feet in diameter, and it was about four feet deep. And it was pretty impressive, really. i got to be honest. And he's down there with his shovel. And, hey, Jim. And So uh, anyways, he he gets tired of that after about a half hour. And he climbs out of this hole. And uh, he comes over and he sits down on the blanket next to me. So we're sitting there. And I kind of lay down. And a little bit of time passes. And you hear this person walking along. And then you hear thud. And then you hear just this woman shouting and screaming. And we look up. And there's this old woman in the hole up to her shoulders. And she's screaming. And Danny sits up and goes, I caught a woman. <laughs> and there's this old lady trying to, get out of the, trying to get out of the hole he dug. But friends aren't like that, right? It's not just like you can dig a giant hole at the beach and wait for these perfect godly friends to walk along. And you're going to wake up one day. And you're like, look, I caught a bunch of godly friends. There they are. It's not like that. It's not something that just falls into your lap. And you have to be intentional about going out and putting in the effort to develop godly friendships. And so when you look at the story of David and Jonathan, I want you to ask yourself two questions. Is, do I have these kind of friend, this kind of friendship in my life? And number two, am I being this kind of friend to somebody else? Because I think if you want to have godly friends, you have to be a godly friend to somebody first. So I want to give you four principles this morning of true friendship, of godly friendship from David and Jonathan... So if you have your notes, uh, I'm going to give you four points, write these down. And the first point is this, is that true friendship, it looks to the heart. True friendship looks to the heart. Write it down if you're taking notes. True friendship looks to the heart. And that's the first thing. I think it's important to note this because you look at the lives of David and Jonathan. When I look at their lives, I see two very different people. I see Jonathan. He's the son of the king, the prince of Israel. He's this mighty warrior. And you see David. And as David, the son of a shepherd, keeper of the sheep, who's kind of a weekend warrior. They're two very opposite people. They're not two people who you would imagine uh, hanging out in the same circles. Two people that you would imagine naturally becoming friends. But nevertheless, they look at each other and they begin to see something different. They look to the inside and they're able to develop this godly friendship that goes beyond outward circumstances and appearances. And I think this is a very important thing to take note of because as human beings, we have the propensity, we have the tendency to go and we, we look at the outward appearance, don't we? We look at people and we judge them by the way they look. We judge them by the way they dress, by the sports they play and the people they hang out with. We judge them by the way they talk and the hobbies that they have. We look at the outward and we tend to, we tend to let those first impressions go such a long way. We look at our outward per, uh, perceptions and appearances when we go to look for friends. And there's nothing wrong, you know, it's important to make a good first impression, right? That's an important thing. And I'm not telling you that, you know, you've got to go start dressing like a Quaker... ...and not worry about, you know, what type of impression you make... But it's important, finding friends and developing friendships isn't about looking to the crowd of people you want to hang out and going for a certain look. It's not about looking like, you know, the the athletes, or it's not about looking like the band kids, or it's not about looking like, you know, whatever it is that, that you feel like you want to be. When you're looking for friendships, don't look at people that way. You've got to look beyond that. The Bible tells us that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And in the same way that when we're going out of our way to develop godly friendships and we're looking for people to be friends with, we've got to look at the heart as well. And one of the things that I found in my own life is that some of the most beautiful people are the people that are are the most unassuming people. It's not the people that you would expect, but you begin to know them on the inside and you begin to understand who they really are. And you find somebody who's far more more mature, maybe far more funny, far more uh, of a quality friend than you would have ever imagined. But it's so easy to walk down the hallways at school and to go through life and just to kind of look at the outside and you you judge people based off of that. But godly friendships are developed by looking at the heart. So that's the first thing that you've got to know, that you've got to look at the heart. True friendship, it looks at the heart. So that's your first point for this morning. But the second point is this, is that true friendship, it's rooted in love. True friendship is rooted in love. Look with me at verse 17 of chapter 20. Verse 17 says this, and Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him... ...because he loved him as he loved himself. And three times there you see that word love used. And people sometimes take this verse out of context to mean a lot of different things. But the significant part is this, and it's the second part... ...where it says that he, uh, because he loved him as he loved himself. See, Jonathan's love towards David was such that he put him, he put him in first position. He put him uh, beyond himself... And I think that's an important thing. It's the idea of sacrificial love. In fact, it's uh, ha- ahavad in Hebrew. And that's, that's the word means love that costs you something. Love that costs you something. It's the idea of putting somebody else before yourself. And I think that's an important thing because a lot of people are willing to be loving. They're willing to be a friend to somebody until it gets expensive. You know, they're willing to, be a friendship with some, uh, to have a friendship with somebody until it costs them something. They're willing to go so far. And as soon as it begins to get difficult, as soon as it begins to be, you know, not something that's easy to do, as soon as it begins to maybe cost you something, people tend to bolt. They just say, you know, this is not what I signed up for. I've got commitment issues. It's not you. It's me. Uh, You know, we'll see you later. And they bolt. Rather than being friends who can put somebody else first and who can kind of stand the test of time with somebody. Friends who are there through the thick and through the thin. I think as Christians, we should have this type of love for each other. We should be constantly being intentional about putting others first putting our friends needs before our own and that can be a difficult thing to do, isn't it? because, you know, our tendency is just to always look to ourselves first it's kind of that idea of always looking out for number one you know, me, myself, and I but as Christians, we need to look beyond that we should be putting the needs of others beyond those of ourselves and if we're doing that for our friends, we'll find friends who do that for us as well and they're looking out for us that's a healthy thing Jesus said this in John 13... He said, a new command I give you... Love one another... And by, all, by this all men will know that you are my disciples... He said later on in John chapter 15... He said, no greater love has any man than this... And he laid down his life for his friends... And it's the idea of just giving of yourself... Unto somebody else... Looking out for them... Putting their needs beyond that of your own... So the first thing is what? For true friendship, what's it do? Number one... It looks to the heart... True friendship, number two... It's rooted in love... And the third thing, true friendship that you see from the story here is spiritually focused. True friendship is spiritually focused. Go over a couple chapters to First Samuel chapter 23. First Samuel chapter 23. A couple chapters to the right. This is an interesting section here, uh, because they'll give you a little bit of context again. We talked about how David was anointed to be king over Israel, right? But it would be 15 years before he actually becomes king. And during those 15 years, he's going to spend time uh, being chased by Saul and having to run away and in hiding in fear for his life. And that's what's going on here. This is one of those times where David's, he's off hiding. And he's run away. And First Samuel chapter 23 verse 16 says this. It says, And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. See, David's in this place in life. He's actually, he's literally between a rock and a hard place. Like, if you go to this desert today, which you can, the Negev Desert in Israel at Horesh, and there's not much going on there. There's a bunch of rocks. I've been there myself. It's, it's a picture of a place of despair. And just this time in life where he feels like everybody's out to get him. He's literally running for his life. And guys, I think the reality is that life's hard. and That we need people along the way. You know, I've talked to enough people over the course of a couple of years of ministry... ...and I've talked to enough young people to know that you go through some pretty difficult things sometimes. You know, maybe you come from a broken home. Maybe your parents are, uh, you know, divorced or getting a divorce or going through that process... ...and there's just a brokenness that comes from home. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe it's been a sibling or a grandparent or a parent or a friend. You know, maybe you're just going through difficult times with the friends that you have... ...or there's, there's struggles in school. There's, there's different difficult things that we have going on. The reality is that life is hard... ...that we need people to be with us there along the way. I love the Greek word in the New Testament for encourage. When you encourage somebody, it's parakaleo in Greek... ...and it means to call alongside. And it's the picture if you're like... ...imagine if you're at Raven Rock or you your Bears Den... ...you're off someplace hiking... ...and somebody begins to fall, fall behind on the trail. It's the picture of turning back to them and say, "Hey, ...come up where I am, come back on the trail... ...come to the place where I am, I'm going to help you along the way. That's what it means, you're supposed to call others alongside... And when you come along, friends, maybe you have a friend who's going through a difficult time in life, or maybe you're the type of person who's going through a difficult time in life. You need friends, you need to be the type of friend who can call somebody alongside. Say, hey, it's okay, I know, I know you were beginning to lose sight of the path, the direction that we were going. You lost the trail, but come up to where I am. I'm going to help you along the way. Call them alongside, encourage them. Be friends who are there with them. But I think the most important thing is, uh, it's the second half of the verse There's 1 Samuel 23, 16. It says that Jonathan helped David find strength in God. And he was the type of friend who pointed David back to God's word. He said, look, you need to get your eyes off of your problems and onto God's presence... ...because God's the only one that can solve the problems that are bigger than you. You need to get your focus back on God. And you need to ask yourself, do you have the type of friends who point you back to God... When you're going through difficult times, are you the type of friend who points to your, uh, somebody else back to the Lord? Or are going through a difficult time in life? We need to find those type of friends. We need to be those type of friends to somebody else. We need to point them back to the Lord to help them find strength in God. I love what Ecclesiastes chapter 4 says. It says that two are better than one, for if one falls down, his friend can help him up. And what a picture of just friendship that is, that we can help other people along the way. So the first point is this: true friendship. It looks to the heart. Number two: true friendship. It's rooted in love. Number three: true friendship is spiritually focused. And number four: final point is this: that true friendship. It comes with humility. It comes with humility. Look at the next verse there, First Samuel twenty-three, verse seventeen, and it says this. And just as a side note, these are the last words that Jonathan's ever going to speak to David. The last words. They didn't know that at the time. But these are the last recorded words that Jonathan speaks to David. Because he's going to go on. He's going to leave David. And in chapter 31, he's going to be killed fighting alongside his father Saul. So these are the last departing words that we have of Jonathan saying to David. Verse 17 says this. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel. And I will be second. Circle the word second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. Think, for, think with me for just a minute about what Jonathan's saying. See, Jonathan is the prince who knows that he'll never be a king. He probably imagined his entire life growing up under his father Saul the king. He waited for that one day when he would, he would be the one to take the crown. He'd be the one to, to sit on the throne. He'd be the one to rule over all of Israel. But he's the prince who knows that he'll never be a king. And he understands that he's got to put the role of David before himself. He understands that David is God's man, that it's not about him. And so rather than being bitter... ...rather than, than, than going and fighting for position... ...rather than trying to, to get rid of David... ...he elevates David above himself. He says, I know that you're going to be king over Israel... ...and that I will never be. He said, even my father Saul, Saul knows this. And he goes and he, he puts the interest... ...he puts the calling of David beyond that of himself. And guys, it takes a person with humility... ...and with character... ...to be able to put the needs of somebody else... ...above those of their own. It's a difficult thing to do. It takes somebody who has both humility and character... To be able to put the needs of somebody else above their own but that's what true friends do they take their friend and they say no you go first you, you know how difficult you go to like six flags or something and how frustrating it is if somebody butts you in line imagine that in life you know it's the idea of taking your friends and saying no you get in line in front of me it's humility it's saying look i you know i'm excited for you i mean so often you come across friends and and, and they think life's a race you know and we can be friends but there's and it's okay to have a little bit of you know, friendly competition. But it's all about like, you know, well, you know, she got this or he got this or, you know, he got the starting job over me or, you know, he got first chair in band class and I didn't. And there's just like these, life turns into a competition. Look, as friends, you're on the same team. And it takes a person of character and of humility who can put somebody else before themselves. I think that's an important thing for us to take note of. It's not the idea of whoever, you know, ends with the most wins. As friends, we're on the same team. Put others first. That's what Jonathan did for David. And it was the will of God. That God has his own hand on each individual person's life. He's got things for you. Don't get envious when your friend, when something good happens to them. Rejoice with them. Be there with them to be able to be there through the thick and the thin. 1 Peter 5, 6 says this. He says, humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that, him, that he may lift you up in due time. And if we can be humble, we just have to trust that God's going to lift us up in due time. He's got good things planned for us. He's got good things planned for our friends. We need to be happy with them along the way. And we need to put their needs before those of our own. Guys, reality is it's not all about you. It's not all about me. That's a hard thing to understand in life. But true friends put the needs of others before those, theirs of their own. So there's four things this morning. True friendship, number one, it looks to the heart. Number two, it's rooted in Love. Sacrificial love. Number three, it's spiritually focused. It's pointing those in times of trouble back to the Lord. And number four, it comes with humility. It's putting the needs of others beyond the needs of self. And I think if you can do those things, if you can be a friend like that, you'll find that you have friends like that. It's like that old expression, it takes one to know one. Being a godly friend will help you to find godly friends. And those are important things. I love the words of uh, one of the early church fathers, St. Thomas Aquinas. He said, there, is, there are few things to be prized more than true friendship." And what an important thing that is for us to develop. So let's pray today and ask that we can be those sorts of friends and that God would bring those sorts of friends into our lives. Lord, we're grateful for this time this morning. We thank you for the story in the Bible of David and Jonathan. And Lord, we acknowledge that we can't just sit around and expect good friends to fall into our laps. That we have to be intentional about going out and developing good friendships. And God, we thank you for a place like this youth group where we can find good friends. And God, I pray that you would help us to be those type of people who look to the heart, that we don't judge just by outward appearance. And God, we'd be the type of people who can be sacrificially loving to our friends, who can point them back to you in difficult times, and who can be humble. And God, I pray for these students specifically, that, Lord, you would help them to be godly friends, and that you would bring true friends into their lives as well. Lord, that you would use those people to strengthen them along the way, because we acknowledge that life is hard and that we need people to help us as we go. So, God, we thank you for those people you bring into our lives. And Lord, I pray for your hand of blessing upon these students today. For additional teachings and to learn more about the Cornerstone Chapel Youth Group, visit us online at cornerstonechapel.net.